Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Good morning, beautiful people. I want to thank you for joining me here this morning 
on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. This is Prison Focus Radio, and I'm your host, Nube Brown. And you might be live streaming on kpoo.com on the World Wide Web. We are going to be hearing from Shai Alkeblan, who is the founder and director and international spokesperson for the House of the Lions of Judah Ecumenical Rastafari Service. Uh, unfortunately, he is still uh, modern-day enslaved inside of a California prison at um, in down in San Diego at R.J. Donovan. Uh, but this brother is very, very positive, very spiritual, and uh, he was actually one of the first um, people whose article uh, about uh, the, the comedic services um, I had been um, introduced to, and I had a really great time uh, curating this article and, uh, you know, getting the the, the photos and the images that needed to go uh, with the article. And it was incredibly enlightening uh, and, um, you know, an educational around uh, the comedic sciences. So uh, that's something that I did for the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper back in uh, 20, I think it was, yeah, it was like 2020, um, but it was an article that he had written in 2019. And I will refer to some of that. But first we are going to hear from Shai, uh, and then we will get into a little bit of some of um, that article, hearing some poetry as well. So stay with us, uh, stay with me, and I hope you enjoy the show ahead. All right, here we go with Shai Alkebalan. Well, first of all, I'd just like to thank you for interviewing me, Miss Miss Brown, and my name is Shai Alkebalan, and I am a resident prisoner at Richard J. Donovan Correctional Facility in San Diego, California. My sentence is 14 years, 8 months plus life with the possibility of parole. And prior to being incarcerated, I was a park ranger, school teacher, um, honorably discharged from the United States Coast Guard Reserve, I I worked as a university instructor for the University of California Regents for the Expanded Food and Nutrition Education Program. Prior to that, I graduated from Crenshaw High School, a two police academies, the Rio Hondo Regional Law Enforcement Tra- Training Academy, and the San Perchett. Santa Rosa Junior College um, Police Academy. Hmm. And prior to that, I graduated from Crenshaw High School in Los Angeles. However, I am a resident of uh, Santa Cruz County. Um, I was born in Santa Cruz. And um, I like to say I was a good brother to my three sisters. Actually, I've got some sisters and brothers outside of uh, my mother and father's uh, marriage. So I'm going to say I got five brothers and um, four sisters. Nice, big family. 
Yes, yes. And I love them all, too. You know, they've been really supportive. Even the ones that I haven't got, I maintained contact with, they've been somewhat supportive, too. And um, I'm really happy for them and their success and the families that they have and, you know, for my nieces and nephews. And, um, oh, forgot to say this. I had two wonderful parents. Um, my dad, his name was Omar Wali Wahim Al-Kebulan, and my mother it was Gertrude Teresa Carter, and they're from a big Carter family from St. Louis, Missouri, and my dad's people, they actually came from Saltville, Virginia, and took the Underground Railroad to Columbus, Ohio, and... And from there, they ended up in California. My people, my my father, my my father's family came from. My father was born in Virginia, Norfolk. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, it, 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 it's uh, fun to think of these things, and especially at this time when we're all um, really working hard to. Uh, Yes. Deeper into yes. you know our backgrounds and get more connected really to um, our social political uh, status here in this country. So Al Kebulan, uh, for people that don't know um, that last name, uh, it's so beautiful, and I, I I love hearing it from people that can pronounce it correctly. Will you tell the folks where Al Kebulan comes from and what it means? Well, as far as my research is concerned, it's an ancient name for Africa. Mm -hmm. And it could be Kemetic. And because of the AL prefix, which stands for the, it could also have some, some Arabic connotations. Al-Kebulan was also a, a comedic word, and it means the land of the black people. Mm. I love hearing that. And Sha'ai, okay, but you can, and the land of black people is, is what in our modern day times, what is that called? That's Africa. That's right, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And what about Sha'ai? And, and my and, first name. Yeah, because I've always, I've okay. again, hearing you pronounce it correctly, uh, pronouncing it the way that it is, I was pronouncing it incorrectly. Please, tell us about Sha'ai. Well, Sha'ai, that has two pronunciations. If you say Shai, which is also spelled S-H-A-I, you're talking about the ancient Kemetic god of destiny. Hmm. However, when you say Sha'ai, you break it down into two syllables and you put a little emphasis on the I, it just means destiny. So when my parents gave me my name or coronated me with that name, that was my mission in life. You know, it was my destiny to get to the land of the black people. Mm -hmm. And if I can't get there to make one. That's beautiful. Are both of your parents still alive, by chance? 
know, unfortunately, my dad, he died a few years after I became incarcerated. And I think the, the hurt and the pain of, you know, his second son, who he helped put through college and inspired me to do so well, I, uh, I kind of just, I, to some degree, I feel like I let him down and he just got sick and he, he passed away. However, um, sorry. I'm so sorry. my family was saying, no, that wasn't necessary. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. My family was just basically telling me, no, he was, he was actually sick. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't really think it that way, but, you know, because of the, the timing and everything, I know it all had, it put, it played a big part because he had put so much emphasis in me trying to go to college and get an education and use the education and, um, be a, a more viable person than he was. That kind of uh, a stigma of you know, hey man, you know, uh, Omar's son is went to prison and all this. It kind of the peer pressure kind of it let him down to a degree. But then again, you know, he was he still had my back all the way. So, and it's it's funny you asked me about my parents because I wrote a short story about my dad and his passing, and it was published in the Beat Within mm. back in. 2004 or five, and uh, maybe one day I'll get a chance to, to read it to you, and you might be able to share it with the uh, listening audience. Oh, that would be beautiful. I mean, I would love for us to do that. Um, okay. Yeah, like, let's make that uh, part of our next getting, you know, our next time we get together, because it's amazing how quickly the time goes okay. by, shall I? Um, did you want yes. to speak about your mother or, um, you know, there are just so many questions Absolutely. I have about you. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Well, my, I've always been kind of like my mother's, uh, a mother's boy because I remember as a kid, she would always, um, she would always make these. Uh, I hate to say this over the radio, these ham sandwiches. And she would toast the bread mm. and put this mustard on it. And I think she put yeah, I think she put some pickles in it too. And one day she made me one and she said, Here, sit down. And she says, Hey, we're we're gonna talk. I want I want you and I to talk. Mm. And before I know it, we were having a full fledged conversation. I'm just eating this ham sandwich and the sandwich was so good. <laughs> and I think I just fell in love with my mother over that doggone ham sandwich. Oh, of course. Oh, I can, I can feel the love because you were starting the story. <laughs> oh. How old were you? And I think I was about maybe, I think I was about five because she and I were at my grandparents' house down in Los Angeles. We were visiting. Okay. And I remember that summer, I had um, turned six years old, and I was able to walk to this park by myself and go get in the swimming pool, because you had to be six 
to get into the swimming pool. You couldn't be four or five unless you were accompanied by an adult. And I didn't want to go with my mother. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be a big boy. I wanted to stroll, I wanted to stroll through the park like all the other little wild kids. It's just, you know, just have fun. Beautiful. Oh, my goodness. That's, oh, that's beautiful. But, she was always, oh, go ahead. No, please, please, I'm sorry. I've got a little, um, a little distraction right here, so they're kind of talking a little loud, so I can't hear you that well, but um, they're walking away, so I think I'll be able to hear you now. Yes, just please continue. I'm just, this is just lovely. I, I'm, I'm feeling the love. Well, what I, what I also remember about my mother was someone called the house when I was in the sixth grade. And they said, hey, look, we need uh, your child to play in a Christmas play. And she says, well, um, does he know how to read? And my mother said, oh, yeah, he's, been, he's known how to read him since he was three. And she said, oh, good. Oh, I said, oh, God. And next thing I know, um, my mother called me in and she says, hey, look, your sixth grade teacher just called me. And I told her. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and reported. And I told them that you were going to be able to play in, a, in, in the play. And they asked me, what part did, would you like him to play? And I said, well, mommy, you, you could have asked me. I, I don't want to be in the play. She said, oh, you got to do this for me. I said, I said, oh, no, no. And she says, listen, I've already told him that you were going to play Santa Claus. What? <laughs> I, oh, I, 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 it was, Santa Claus was like the, the leading actor in the doggone play. <laughs> so anyway, she says, I'll help you do it. She says, your daddy and I will help you do it. And I said, oh, no, no. I'll do it myself. <laughs> she says, no, you got to have somebody help you. She says, this is really important. And lo and behold, I ended up doing that play. And that night that we had the opening performance for the parents, there she was. She had this, she had a really nice figure for her for, to be a mother. And she had this nice skirt on and some high heel shoes and some type of white top with a jacket. You have 60 seconds remaining. Um, I know I've got 60 seconds, but I can finish the story. I've got, nobody's on the line after me, and if you, it's up to you. Okay, yeah, we, we, we have to at least finish this story. This is beautiful. All right, call me right let, back. Let me call you right back. Okay, okay. Let me call you right back, okay? Okay. All right? I'll be here. All right. Well, before we go into the, the second call that I got from Sha'ai, and of course, listening to this, I'm remembering that I was pronouncing his name incorrectly. Um, I'm tempted sometimes to edit out some of the, the chunky parts of the call um, and the call interruptions and us saying goodbye and all of those things. But, <clears throat> excuse me. But then I'm not, because I, I really want you to experience 
what it means to be talking to people who are being modern day enslaved, who are having um, a prison experience. These are these are real people that have families and thoughts and ideas and intelligence and love and beauty and and desires and and they have potential. We are we are caging beautiful people who are trying to survive these intense prison experiences. A lot of what we are, will, you will not hear today is what is actually happening to Sha'ai in prison. But I am going to say this. He said he had a uh, 14-year-plus-life sentence. We really have to think about what that means and how this is contributing to uh, this thing called mass incarceration, which is really, again, just a new iteration of slavery, and what that is doing to our people, what it is doing to our families, and what it is doing to our communities, and ultimately our whole society, when we are not committed to uplifting the humanity of people, um, not, not looking to create circumstances and conditions and a social life that is empowering for all of us as opposed to punishing. And the reason that we don't do it is because we are in this white false supremacist, capitalist, colonialized, imperialist society that is hell-bent on putting profits over people and, and uh, profits over the, the health of the planet as well. Sha'ai al-Kabalan has been denied parole Ten times at this point. This should be an indictment on the system. This should be an indictment on the California Department of Corrections, small r, rehabilitation. And so the reason I don't cut out any of um, the, the, the chunky parts of the, of the phone call is because I want it to be real for you. I, I hope you are feeling that you're actually hearing from a real person not a criminal, not a slave, um, not a danger to society. And we can't get it right um, since 1998 and after 10 times of being denied parole. Again, this is an indictment on the system and we are somehow complicit in this when we don't know, or we don't do anything about it, when we don't speak up and say something about it. And that is what I hope to bring here every time. I'm not always going to hear from, you know, these, uh, the, um, these, you know, wise new African uh, revolutionaries talking about, uh, you know, making these incredibly deep and powerful and painful political analysis about what's going on, which is really important. But we're also going to hear from people that are doing their best to not only survive this experience of being modern-day enslaved, but actually improving themselves and growing and doing deep personal work. So um, I just wanted to, to, to put that out there, uh, that I am not going to uh, cut out those, those pieces um, and we are going to get back to, um, uh, to Sha, Sha'ai, uh, but 10 parole denials and, and he has been 
enslaved, caged since 1998, and he is 65 years old, really should say something. So here we are in uh, the first uh, days of Women's History Month and uh, being able to hear from Sha'ai about about his mom and the impact uh, that she has made on him. All right, here we go for the second part of the call with Sha'ai Al-Kebulan. You will not be charged for this call. To accept this call, say or dial five now. Thank you for using Global Tail Link. Okay, Miss Brown. Do you remember where I was, where I left off? Oh yes, I, mean, I, could, I can see your mother now, and her just looking so beautiful in some lovely skirt and a white top and high heel shoes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And there she was, she was sitting inside, she was in the back, she was in the audience, and I could see all these other parents, and they were looking all nice and dressed up, and and there my mother was, you know, she had this nice chocolate, Hershey's chocolate brown skin, and she had her hair pressed and curled, and she was, she looked really nice, and I knew I couldn't let her down, and so I just went on and performed. And next thing I know, it was all over. And all the actors, the L Foreman, Mrs. Santa, my sister, Bianca, she was playing one of the fairy elves. And they had danced over me to make sure that I, in my dreams, I would remember that, hey, I had a big responsibility in Santa. And I had to deliver those toys that night. And, in fact, the name of the play was called The Christmas That Almost Wasn't. Nice. Yeah. And I love that you were a black Santa. I mean, (laughs) that's that's just too big. Yes. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Mom is there in the audience screaming at you. Oh, that's beautiful. That is... And what it was... And when it was all over, she, I remember she walked up to the, um, to the stage and she said, boy, you come here. And I remember I said, oh, shucks, man, she's going to tear my behind up. What did I do now? <laughs> and she said, come here. And I leaned over and she kissed me on the cheek and I was like, oh, wow. And she smiled. She said, boy, you really outdid yourself today. And I said, really? And I stood up on the stage while all the other kids went to their parents. And I was just standing there like a jumping bean. And I just kept jumping. And it was like I had a, a sugar fit, a sugar high. <laughs> I from eating candy. And I just kept jumping and jumping. She said, boy, get out from there. <laughs> and she made me down. And I, I, I held her hand. And I felt the way I felt when I was like three or four years old, walking down the street with her, you know, holding her hand. And. I guess maybe that's why uh, I had such a good relationship with her. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Oh, but by the way, she passed. She passed away in twenty. I think it was twenty thirteen, and I was at one of the Rastafarian religious services meetings. And a friend of mine, he was from the Jehovah Witness meeting, he said, Shy, he said, man, didn't you hear him calling you? I said, no, what is it, what is it? 
He said, man, you got to get to the sergeant because I think something, something happened bad in your family. And I said, oh, oh, okay, I, I will. And I went back to the, uh, the building in San Quentin. And the sergeant said, oh, no, I don't have anything to tell you. So I went, so I went to my cell and then somebody called me again. And they said, yeah, you need to call your family immediately, right now. And lo and behold, my, uh, my cousin, who was uh, my mother's first cousin, she told me, she says, hey, look, Shai, um, Gertrude, she passed away. She had a stroke. And she said it was a really bad stroke. And I said, oh, well, was anybody there? And she says, no, nobody was there. She was by herself until they came in. And she had been that way for at least a couple of days. Mm. And I said, oh, no. And I remember a few days before she passed away, I had called her. And she found like she had been um, stuttering a little bit. Mm. And I said, Mom, are you taking medicine? And she told me, oh, no, no, I haven't been taking, uh, I haven't been taking my medicine. And I said, listen here. And I, I, I cursed at her for the first time in my whole life. I said, you know damn well you got to take your goddamn medicine. And she started laughing. And I said, I said I'm not laughing. I'm not playing. And she just, she just kept laughing. And then she started coughing. And I said, oh, Mom, look. I said, let me call Bianca, which is my sister after me. And I said, let me call Bianca, and you and Bianca go and get, uh, uh, get whatever medication that you guys get. And she said, oh, I got my medication right here. I'm just, I'm tired. I'm just not taking it. And I got on her again, and I, I said something. I said, you take that, that damn medicine right now. And after that, I went on and I called my sister after she and I called but prior to that conversation, I was at Solano, and they had transferred me to San Quentin, and I hadn't called her for a while. And I was really glad that I spoke to her that day, because um, I never realized that hey, she was going to be leaving this earth, you know, uh, days later. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, I know, but uh, I mean, I don't know, but I mean, I just just hear too often because you know I, I I speak to quite a few people inside and just the the yes. loss of family when you're in for such a long period of time. I'm so sorry. Uh huh. I'm so sorry. Do you well, have, do you have you know do you have pictures of her? I mean, do you have Oh, I couldn't. I couldn't hear that last part. Sorry, I started speaking pretty loud. Said pictures. Yes, I was wondering. Yeah, do you do you have do you have pictures? It sounds like your family is close, so like it sounds like maybe you know you're able to keep her close to you in other ways besides just memory. Well, I like to say that we're close. It's just that we're all grown now mm -hmm. and and very old. 
So uh, we've all just focused on raising our own children and being as productive in the community as we can, no matter where we are. For example, my uh, nephew, his, his name is Adoree Jackson, and he plays for the New York Giants now. He went to USC and graduated there. And I saw a newspaper of a kid that was playing on the football team at Sarah High School. And when I saw the name, I said, I know this kid. I know this guy's name. I know him from somewhere. Before I knew it, my, my sister Claudette sent me some mail and told me, hey, Adoree is playing for USC. His first game will be um, August so-and-so and such-and-such. And she says, I sent you some, some, some mail. And the same mail that she sent me, the photograph that was in the newspaper, was in her letter. And immediately I made the connection. I said, oh, God. This, this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. This is a guy that I did an Egyptian prayer for when he was a baby. And I took him, his, his mother come to the house. And she said, Junior, I need you to, uh, uh, hold a dory. I said, I said, sweetie, he's, he's asleep. Uh, look at him. He's tired. You've been moving this kid, dragging this kid all over the, uh, the city, going back and forth. He's laying right out there. And she said, no, I need you to, I need you to hold him, Junior. I need you to hold him. And lo and behold, I held him and I took him outside. And it was a full moon night. And I did him the way Kuta Kente's daddy did him. And I said, hey, behold, because the only thing greater than myself. And my sister and my mother, they just started crying. I said, oh, gosh, come on, please. Mm -hmm. I said, we've been doing this for a long time. Stop. And they, uh... <laughs> We all just went back in the house, and I never realized that he'd become as great as I thought he might be. So we're kind of, we're close in our own little special ways. Hmm. Too many of our black sisters have had to endure the loss of their brothers, sons, husbands, partners, uh, nephews. Um, and or endure trying to maintain some kind of relationship um, with them behind the walls, as well as you know being being mothers or being aunties um, to the children that are that are left behind as well. So uh, we really want to you know just send some love. Uh, to to Shai, Shai and his family that has been able to stay in touch with him um, over all of these these years. Um, he's a little bit lucky there, as you can hear, though, that he, is, he has lost many family members, and it's difficult to maintain those relationships over such long periods of time, which is why uh, we must end slavery now. 
uh, we need to get our people home. So with that, I would like to, um, I'm going to switch up and I'm actually going to read that article um, that Sha'ai wrote. It's called Neket Ankh, The Life Force, Kemetic Sciences Studies and Enlightenment. Um, but first, we are going to take a quick musical break. Oh, and thank goodness for that Egyptian prayer that he did. Give me a little, 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 give me a little
right. If you have just joined us, you are tuned in to Prison Focus Radio, and I'm your host, Nube Brown. We were just listening to Walk the Proud Land by Bob Marley and the Whalers, of course. And if you had been listening in a little bit, I have been, so we've been hearing from Sha'ai Al-Kebulan, uh, just really some personal um a, a, a personal telling, a sharing of uh, his life. He is uh, currently incarcerated or enslaved at R.J. Donovan uh, Correctional Facility down in San Diego. And um, he is almost 10 years past his 14-plus life sentence, and he has been denied parole 10 times. He's 65 years old. And um, again, the reason why we come here, and I want to thank KPOO for um, generously providing this hour to hear from our people on the inside. Uh, these are our brothers and our sisters and our our family, our community members who are just being um, thrown away, silenced, um, exploited, degraded um, and dehumanized, um, except unless we are doing everything we can to, and they are doing everything that they can to um, resist that um, in the name of their uh, humanity and their uh, struggle to be free. So uh, thank you again, KPOO, for uh, giving this hour so that uh, we can act in unity to make sure that we know what's happening inside so we can get our people home because we are being lied to continually. We are going to hear now, um, I'm going to read an article that uh, Shai El-Kebulan did. He is the founder, director, and international spokesperson for the House of Lions of Judah Ecumenical Rastafari Service. Um, and he was just recently in R.J. Donovan. He used to, uh, just before, I think he was in Soledad. So they're moving him around a lot, unfortunately. Um, all right, so this article was um, was a couple of years ago, almost three years ago now. But here we go. On October 26, 2019, the House of the Lions of Judah Ecumenical Rastafari Service established a comedic science studies into its religious service. The first community group met on November 9th, 2019. The following are those Rastas that attended. Uh, Brother Arias, a.k.a. Ras Skugi, Ras Ibo, Ras Dusty, Ras Amon, Ras True Divine, Ras Hurtado, and Sha'ai. We were truly lucky and fortunate to have an exclusive interview with Brother Jason, Ross Conscious Hurtado, yet all the group members made solid contributions. However, the following is truly enlightening. Shai Elkebulan, what is comedic science? Ross Conscious. Comedic science is the biological thesaurus built into modern physical science. It's a treasury of science that deals with the origin, history, physical characteristics, life processes, habits, and any of the various natural cycles in organisms that are related to the tides, sun, moon, light, temperature, etc., and that control breeding, feeding, migration, etc. Kemet is actually the word mehet, which means the delta marshes, and also met, which means floodwaters. The land of Kemet alludes to the waters of the Nile Valley, Happy River, there would be no comedic science without the Nile Valley civilization. So yes, comedic science could be viewed as the knowledge of the black land, soil. 
Alcabalon. Is the Rastafari community at CTF Soledad on the right track by incorporating comedic science studies into its disciplines? Conscious. When it comes to Rastafari in Africa, it's all about reuniting with home and having comedic science as our university is only right. The word Rasta has the word Ra in it, informing the mind to remember the soul of Ra. To be Rasta is to be illuminated with solar, soul, energy, energy. And there's a couple of, uh, there's some photographs here, and I'm going to read um, some of those, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, captions. So, this is a, a quote. You possess your body, a set. You possess your power, a set. You possess your magic, a set. The amulet tiet is a protection for this great one, which will drive off anyone who would perform a criminal act against her or him. Unquote. From Paret M. Heru, Utterances for Coming Forth by Day, Book of the Dead, Spell 156. Okay. And um, and then uh, this is a, a picture of the Ankh. At the ends of the universe is a blood-red cord that ties life to death, man to woman, will to destiny. Let the knot of that red sash, sash, which cradles the hips of the goddess, bind in me the ends of life and dream. I am the knot where two worlds meet. Red magic courses through me like the blood of Isis, magic of magic, spirit of spirit. I am proof of the power of the gods. I am water and dust walking. That comes from the knot of Isis, from Awakening Osiris by Normandy Ellis. Um, okay, Alcabalon, he asks, the word Ankh, what is its significance to Pan-Africans? Conscious. The word Ankh, which can be found throughout Africa, is a symbol for life, regeneration, spiritual protection, and resurrection, among other things. In order for the Pan-African to properly move and operate, he or she must become one with the breath of Africa. The word breath means spirit, and the Ankh is a dialectical variant of the word snib or seneb, meaning to be healthy, be alive, be cured. In order for the Pan-African to navigate America, one must be in balance with his or her masculine and feminine principles. The Ankh is the symbol for, reunifi for unification between human and the divine. Alcabalon. When you speak of comedic sciences, how does the Ankh relate to the sesh, medu, nature, and SNFW, senifu, the blood? Conscious. The term sesh, medu, nature is the same as just saying metu, netter, or medu, netter. The word means to speak, recite, speech, or method. The term medu, netter means Inscriptions of the divine words, divine language of nature, because the term senefu means blood. We're dealing with the language of nature. As far as the Ankh in relation to the blood and the language of nature, we start with the tiet symbol. The tiet symbol is a variation of the Ankh, except that the terms of the tiet curve down, uh, sorry, except that the arms of the tiet curve down like a human in a standing position. The tiet also is also called the knot of Aset, Isis, and the blood of Aset. For more information on the Tiet, refer to the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And again, that's where I was reading about the, um, 
the Ankh or the knot of Isis, also, you know, the Ankh, also known as the knot of Isis. And then there's the Tiet, uh, which is no, known as the knot of Isis or the blood of Isis, looks a lot like the Ankh symbol, except its arms are curved down. It was used as a funerary amulet made of a red stone or glass and was associated with many goddesses as well as Isis. It symbolizes the ideas of eternal life and resurrection. It often paired with the Ankh, offering the protection and security of both Isis and Osiris. Okay. Ah... The Book of the Dead, I love it. Okay. The Tiet is representative of resurrection and depicted in red as in the Senefu, blood of the human body. As you can see, the blood and Ankh represents life-sustaining activities when it's recited and spoken in the Sesmedu Necher language. Um, and I do encourage you to go to this article that's in the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. Again, it, the name of it is Neket, that's N-E-K-H-E-T, Ankh. The, uh oh, hold on one second. The Life Force. So, Neket Ankh, the Life Force, Kemetic Science Studies and Enlightenment, or go to the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Um, but there's a beautiful, the, the, um, the photographs, the images here uh, really uh, tell a lot about what it is that I'm reading here. And it's, it was so fascinating when I had first learned about it. Um, okay. So, uh, Al-Kebulan Sha'ai goes on to ask, the land of Kemet has many meanings and interpretations. Was, was there any specific or general anthropological linguistics that gave rise to the cultural explosion of scientific development in Kemet, Egypt, Africa? Conscious. Linguistics can be subdivided by systems of studies such as comparative, theoretical, and geographical linguistics. These sciences of languages include phonetics, phonology, morphology, syntax, and semantics, just to name a few. The word anthropology is the study of humans from cultural characteristics, customs, social relations, and distribution. When dealing with ancient Kemet, Egypt, Africa, the language family that houses Kemet is now classified as Negro-Egyptian in French by prominent authoritative indigenous black African anthropological linguistics, well, linguists, Egyptologists, and scholars such as uh, Czech Antad Diop from Senegal, uh, Theophile Obenga from Brazzaville, Congo, John uh, Brazzaville, Congo, Jean Claude Mboli from the Central African Republic, just to name a few. They are references. They, there are references to get a more accurate and cultural understanding of ancient Kemet. They will give you the explosion of scientific uh, development. And then there's another uh, image here of um, you know one of the. Uh, uh, Egyptians just in an oppose and I want to read this because this is one of the things that I had learned uh, or one of the things that I had learned about uh, where yoga actually first started so the caption here is Dr. Muata Ashby and Dr. Karen Ashby in their book Egyptian Yoga Postures of the Gods and Goddesses proclaim that yoga was practiced in Egypt earlier than anywhere else in the world Egypt, Africa long before the evidence is detected in India, including the Indus Valley civilization or any other early civilization, such as Sumer, Greece, China, etc. This point of view is supported by illustrative and documented scriptural evidence of physical exercises, meditations, and implementation of wisdom teachings in daily life. So yet again, another evidence of basically everything started in Africa with black people. Okay. 
Okay, Balan, what scientists in this field or scholars in addition to the aforementioned have been your inspiration? Conscious. Brother Polite, Naim Akbar, Asari Motep, Einstein, Brother Sheppi at Central Training Facility, uh, Soledad Sea Yard, and plenty more. All right. Uh, al uh, any lasting impressions to leave the San Francisco Bayview readers with? Conscious. Hotep, thank you for your time, and may you stay radiated. And Al-Kabalan uh, Sha'ai says, bubbling on the top of 100, just like a mighty dread, dread and alive. Naket Ankh, the life force, be born. All right, and then he always ends with dread out. Now, mind you, this is coming from inside of a prison. This information, this is what they are doing inside why are they still inside? If they have reached this level of consciousness and um, self-enlightenment, why are they still inside? Why are they not being released to come home? Why are they continually denied parole? You see, there is a real disconnect here about what's taking place. And I hope that we feel that. I hope that this is getting to you and that you will pass it on that what is taking place in our prisons with what is called mass incarceration, which is really modern day slavery, should not be happening on our watch. We must become enlightened to this fact. These voices that are coming to you, do they sound dangerous? Do they sound like they are not going to be able to... Um, a benefit our communities by their returning home. I think about all the people, this, how this system continually harms and murders us on a daily basis. We have to get real about who and what is the real danger. All right, and if you would like to write to Shai, spell his name S-H-A-I, Shai, last name Alkebulan. A-L-K-E-B-U-L-A-N. His prison number is P-02598. He's at R-J-D. Uh, the cell number is 3-23-A-204-480-4242. Alta Road, San Diego, California, 92179. Now I'm going to read a poem from a book of poems by Paul Red. Junior, um, he is our beautiful brother, one of the um, hunger strikers um, that uh, passed on to the ancestors last Juneteenth. Uh, we miss you, Paul. PR, um, just beautiful, beautiful brother who they described as a legal beagle and um, many other beautiful things. He wrote a book uh, of poems, Roaring Free in a World Without Walls, and gave some space to some other of his comrades, brothers inside. It's and Bro Kamau and Bro Kambui have written a few poems I have enclosed in my pamphlet. He says, on the following pages, their words are titled Envision from Behind the Walls. This is on unity. Over the years, I have come to really appreciate African women and to respect the past contribution they have made to our civilization. Each one like a unique gem giving life to our people, with rhythmic beating of their hearts like drums announcing the birth of a new nation, a new nation. 
Ah, yeah, I started to go into one for you. A poem, sometimes they just come to me. And it's like, I really feel the words, but I don't have anyone to share them with, so I keep them within. I want to write on about Asada, Nzinga, Fanny Lou, or Angela. All very powerful sisters. Yeah, sisters, all. Bitches, hoes, tramps, out of my ignorance, despair, and pain, I have called them this and more, blaming them while not forgetting that we were both subjected to the same whip. Did you hurt like I hurt at the crack? Did you feel like I felt on the drawback? I raised my head and I saw you there with tears in your eyes that were like mine, so how different are we really in our hearts, in our minds? Our crimes and injustices against you are evidenced in the facts of our fatherless children, abandoned, neglected, disregarded, misused, abused, misunderstood, betrayed, rejected. We have heaped upon your back like granite blocks in an attempt to free ourselves from our own affliction, torment, pain, and the rage of our denial. But every time we looked up, we saw you there, urging us to fight on, Sasa, now. Simama, stand. Sasa, now. You were there when they used the dogs and beat me with sticks and the butts of their guns. The blows just as heavy upon your head as mine. Blood was in your eye, too. We came together, and it was a beautiful experience, for you taught me about myself, about my pain, and then we slowly drifted apart. But I saw the tears in your eyes, and they were the tears like mine. So how different are we really in our hearts and in our minds? One love, Brother Kamau. All right, that is our show. You've been listening to Prison Focus Radio. I'm your host, Nube Brown. Rest in power, beautiful brother Paul Red. We miss you. Free our political prisoners. End slavery now. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer.
Absolutely. Um, do you have pictures of your mom? Oh, I can't hear you. Do you have pictures of your mom? With you? Actually, I have a, I have quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. I had one of them when she was really young, and this was like years before she had me, and she, she yeah, she was a nice looking lady. You could tell she she grew up in the the, the when was she born? I think she was born around the thirties, somewhere in the late thirties. Because she was uh, 17, 18 when she had me. And I was in 57, 1957. Mm-hmm. So that was 40, wow. 17 years, that was 1940. Mm-hmm. 39, she was born. 39, 38. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's an era that I... At least for fashion, I do love that, that era, I have to say. The 40s, I guess, is really my favorite. Oh, that's, that's mm-hmm. beautiful. And what's your mom's name? Her name is Gertrude. Gertrude. And that's spelled G-E-R-T-R-U-D-E. Mm-hmm. Gertrude, Gertrude. Carter. So, and your your mom and, did not take on Al-Kabalon? Well, she and my dad, they ended up getting a divorce, and she ended up returning back to her maiden name. Mm, okay. I see. And my mom was like a really good-looking lady, so she didn't, she wasn't really tripping, but... I think maybe deep down inside, you know, she probably had some some feelings because, you know, she and my dad, they were together for a good while, and but, you know, that's life, and, yeah. you know, we got to move on. I hear you. So, um, is, so did you, you, you talked about um, uh, being a Rastafarian. So that is yes. that is how you grew up. Your family is Rasta, and how do you? Well, how do I say that? Rastafari. Well, it's Rastafari. Rastafari. The A N, yeah, that A N at the end is something that the 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 Romans and the the Greeks mm. they. And the Christians, they put on that to, it's like a, a suffix at the end to distinguish, you know, the being like something. Yeah. You're Rastafarian-like, you're Rasta-like, mm-hmm. you know, so a Rastafarian or a Christian or Roman or African or a European or Russian, you know, they put that, that... You have 60 seconds remaining. It's just Rastafari, okay. and but anyway, my my culture is Kemetic. It's a Kemetic culture, mm-hmm. and it comes from it basically comes from the Caribbean, the South, and basically um the Southern United States, the Southeast United States. 
and it's basically just the remnants of the religion of what the African people maintained before um, uh, they maintained from Africa. Well, we're going to talk more about that, but we are going to have to leave it there for now. So thank you so yes. much, Shai, and we will, yeah, we'll pick it up and we'll talk about the, the your comedic self.